Great to see you all this morning. Let me just uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll get into today's uh, subject. Father, we uh, thank you. We thank you uh, for the cross. We thank you for the peace that comes from your work on the cross on our behalf. Father, this morning we pray that you'll guide us by your spirit as we discuss a, a common interpersonal issue that of conflict. Father, guide us by your spirit, we pray. Uh, Soften our hearts, mould us, transform us, renew us by the power of your spirit through through your word. We pray this now in in the powerful name of Christ our Saviour. Amen. I was uh, going to be kind of brave this morning and ask for a show of hands of... uh, those of you who have been involved in a conflict this week. But uh, I won't be that brave because you know in your own hearts if you've been involved in a conflict. And it's interesting, isn't it? Conflict is one of those things that is part of life. You know, conflict is probably could be defined in the following way it's a, a difference of opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. Uh, We see conflict from early on, all of those in this room who have little children. As uh, these kids start growing and start getting their voice and and their will and their desires start overflowing, you see conflict, especially if there's a piece of common interest like a toy or or, or whatever and, and... what happens is a, a conflict occurs. A goal or desire is frustrated. And the question is, is conflict bad? Or is it good? And this morning we want to sort of lay out some biblical principles about conflict because we all live with interpersonal relationships and conflict does occur. But I guess the key question is, in light of what Jesus has done on the cross, how should we respond when we're involved in a conflict? Because the Bible uh, does not teach that all conflict is bad. Some conflicts are, are natural and beneficial. But however, other conflicts can cause great harm and estrangement. We probably all could count stories of family feuds that have gone on for years, for decades, maybe even centuries, where the result of conflict is such a deep bitterness and hatred that resolution and reconciliation can never occur. But I want to give you hope because it can occur through the power of the cross the transforming work of the Spirit in your life. I made the statement there that conflict uh, sometimes are natural and beneficial. From a biblical sense, you can, you can read some characters who were in conflict. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they served together in missionary endeavor for a number of years and then they had a bitter conflict over a, a particular member of the missionary endeavor. 
John Mark. And they chose to separate. And we see later that Paul reconciles with John Mark because he asked in some of his final letters and in the prison epistles, tell John Mark to come to me and comfort me. But that conflict, even though at the time was a, a, a hotbed of uh, disagreement, the Lord used that to spread the gospel in different ways. But as I've said and stated, it's the real issue is not whether we're going to face conflict, we will. The real issue is your response to that conflict. Your response will make a difference. So what causes conflicts? What really causes conflicts? There could be a misunderstanding. That could cause a conflict. Uh, quite, quite commonly, uh, you said that and I said that. And there may be a, an issue of context that's not understood. Uh, Joshua 22 uh, has such a situation. I, I won't read this today, but read Joshua chapter 22. There's a conflict going on between a couple of the tribes of Israel and, and uh, three, three of the tribes of Israel and the balance of the tribes about uh, building a, an altar. And really, what at the end of the day, it's a misunderstanding. And the conflict is resolved. What else causes conflicts? Well, it could be a difference in values, a difference in goals, a difference in gifts, even a difference in calling. The John Mark thing was a difference in calling, a difference in priorities, expectations, and interests or opinions. All those things cause conflict. I reckon in, in, as you journey your life, if you're blessed enough to be married, as you journey in that marriage, that one of the primary things is a, a difference in expectations. It can cause conflict very quickly. I remember early on in our marriage, um, it, was, it was quite a humorous now I look back, but at the time it was incredibly painful. <laughs> I was a, a bit of a free spirit when it came to what time I'd get home in the evening prior to being uh, married. And, and that caused a bit of a conflict because uh, Julie's culture and environment is that you sat down at 6 p.m. for dinner. That's what you did. You know, the, the whole of, the, whole of um, the meal preparation and all that stuff was locked in at 6 p.m. Well, you know, I was sort of, not really into rules, it's more like guidelines, so what would it matter if you got home at seven? I found out that that expectation of six versus my expectation of it really doesn't matter at seven didn't really correlate. So we had to come to a compromise and understanding. It's only taken 25 years, folks, but it's okay. We're getting there. We're getting there slowly. But expectations are a big cause of conflict. When I impose my expectations upon you. And likewise, when you impose your expectations upon me. It creates a misunderstanding and it creates uh, just this issue. But what's the important thing? It's your response to the conflict. 
We'll get to that. Sometimes uh, conflict, as we see and noted amongst children, is really uh, uh, fired up through a competition over limited resources. You have one toy and three kids want it. You ultimately have uh, competition. It's quite interesting, actually, if you go back to Genesis uh, chapter 13, you have a similar thing happening. I'll just briefly read this for you. In Genesis uh, 13, so Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to a place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to a place where the, he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. They had a conflict over resources, over limited resources. This land is not enough for our sheep and goats and our farming endeavour. Then Abraham said, oh, and, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen, we are family. There's not the whole land before you. And then they go and decide. Lot goes and takes his part and Abram takes his part. But the initial conflict was over a limited resource. And finally, the one that I want to sort of concentrate on today uh, around the cause of conflict is our own sinful attitudes and desires that lead to sinful words and actions. When I look at conflict and what happens around our society, around our families, within our church, wherever it may be, the most common form of conflict comes down to the whole end of sinful words and actions. James 4 tells us this. If you look at James 4, and we're going to be flicking through quite a lot of scriptures today, so have your, have your Bible open as we work through this. But James 4 puts it quite clearly. I'm going to start reading from actually James 3. It helps bring it into context. James 3.17 says this, But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then James asks the question, he just outlines a life of peace. This is what peace looks like. This is the attributes of peace. And then he asks the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Question mark. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He lays it out pretty clearly that quarrels and conflicts are a result of an inward action. 
And he calls these desires and passions. And he's, there's a, such a major element of truth here because isn't this what goes on with us daily? Internally we war within over these things. Paul in Romans 7 says the same thing. The things I do not want to do, I do. And this is what happens and this is what causes conflict. Because even when I want to do the good things, I can go about trying to make these things happen unless it's a heart change, unless it's the transformation of the Spirit within our hearts, nothing will occur, nothing will change. So what is conflict? It's a difference of opinion, purposes that frustrates someone's goals or desires. And the heart of conflict is our response. What's your response to conflict when you get involved in a conflict, in a misunderstanding, a, a difference over resources? What is your response? I think there are three responses that we can have. I'm going to look at the first set. And you, you, might be able to, you might think through these because I think every one of us respond to conflicts in different ways. And I'm going to call the first set of responses the uh, flight responses or escape. Use that word as well. Flight or escape. Now, this would go something like this. The first part of, if you were part of a, a flight or an escape response, is that you would deny that anything is wrong, full stop. Your first part is denial. You, pre you pretend that the conflict actually doesn't exist. All right? And yet you'll go away and you'll think through that time and time and time again and you won't actually become hysterical about it, you'll become historical about it. You'll keep mulling it over and you'll bring it up, but you'll never actually walk across the room and say to that person, hey, I've got an issue and I need to deal with this. You'll deny it. You'll pretend it doesn't exist. You, you refused to do what you should do to resolve it properly. And plus, like I say, this is... This denial stuff is always an unhealthy way of dealing with conflict. It's an unhealthy way, extremely unhealthy. It's like putting a, a band-aid over a deep wound. A wound that may need stitches and may need a lot more healing. You just decide to put a band-aid over it. That wound is going to start to fester. It's going to start to come back in your thinking. So that's one of the responses. The second response is you could um, decide to take flight. 
You could run away from the person for whom you're having a difficulty or conflict. Uh, This can be a really legitimate response, uh, especially if there's safety issues uh, in play. But it doesn't resolve the conflict in a constructive manner. Eventually, at some point in time, you need to come back and resolve the thing. So that would be the, the escape, denial and flight type responses to conflict. Where do you place yourself in that? What's your natural tendency? Are you somebody who wants to sweep it underneath the carpet and deny it? Or do you all have a bit of Irish in you and want to fight? Because that's the alternative response. You either have the flight response or you have the fight response. Now, with the fight response, uh, you know, there, there is this whole issue is that it's more important about winning the argument than about the person. It's more important about that. You're not concerned about the relationship, you're just concerned about the fact that you're right. And that is equally damaging in any relationship. You know, with the attack or or fight responses, you're actually a peace breaker. You break peace because you're trying to dominate your position over the situation. We see this commonly in areas of assault. That's a a classic attack response, is it not? The use of force or intimidation, whether that is um, physical, verbal, financial or otherwise, all those aspects of intimidation can be used to get your own way, to compel someone to give in to your demands. That's an attack response. Some will go further and it could be a, a response of litigation where you take it as a matter before civil authorities for a decision. At times this may be a legitimate response if it's a commercial type thing, but it should only ever be exhausted after using what we all discover, peacemaking responses. So we have the fight and we have the flight. And more common than not, it's really interesting in marriages, one will be a fighter, one will be a flighter. Have you noticed that? It would be real fun if it's both fighting. It would be a volcanic eruption every second day. It would be quite interesting if it's both flighting because you'd consistently be denying and putting things on the carpet and nothing would ever be resolved. Both responses are unhealthy. So what hope is there for us? The hope is in the gospel of Christ. That's where the hope is, because as mentioned already today, I'm going to go to Romans chapter 5. 
when we've sorted out our peace with God, when we've placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who cleanses us from our sin, who restores our relationship with the Creator God, He dwells and powers us with His Spirit. And His Spirit enables us to develop the fruit of the Spirit. What is one of the major fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, patience, self-control. All those fruit are incredibly important when it comes to understanding and resolving conflict. Romans 5 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, what does that mean? That means that faith we place in the fact that Jesus has died for our sin, that he is Lord and Saviour, that justifies us. That places us in a position that is cannot be removed. Because God from that point on sees you through his perfect sacrifice of his son. Oh, grip our hearts with that because that is so liberating. We have been justified by faith and the result is we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this cross, this gospel, should change the way we respond to conflict. The cross should change our approach to conflict. Because the cross makes peace possible. That is a strong New Testament message. The cross makes peace possible, not just with God in the horizontal fact, but with one another. Love one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be reconciled to one another. That's the power of the transformation of the Spirit of God in our lives to to change the way we, we wrestle with conflict. I want to leave you with just some principles about how we can actually think through conflicts from a perspective of a follower of Christ. How do we respond to these things when there are attacks upon our character or conflicts going on? So please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 31. This is a primary principle for all of us as we walk and journey this life together. For those who follow Christ, this is a a number one discipleship principle. Verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all. Please circle that in your Bibles. It's not unsacred to mark your Bibles, okay? So you can, you can grab a little pencil and you can circle it. 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all. Does that leave anything out? It's a pretty all-encompassing statement, isn't it? Do all. Do all for what? Do all to the glory of God. So when I read that, that says to me that when I'm involved in a conflict, I can actually use that conflict for God's glory. It's a bit of a difficult thing to think about, isn't it? According to this verse, I do all to the glory of God. So when I'm involved in a conflict, in what way does that conflict glorify God? goes on, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's the instruction Paul gives us. He says, I don't care on everything you do, this all pit, this, this all things that we do. I'm not trying to seek my own advantage. So I'm not trying to be a someone who responds in a conflict in an attack mechanism. But my heart's desire is to see you transformed by the Spirit of God. And imitate me as I'm imitating Christ. That's what it means to do all things to the glory of God. Follow the book. Another part of this glorifying God is serving one another. We haven't got time to read the scriptures, but I encourage you to look at Galatians chapter 6. It says, if someone falls into sin, you who are spiritual, bear one another's burdens. Grab them by the side. We're in a body. Grab them. Walk with them. Share with them. Love them. Serve them. That's part of glorifying God. We go the extra mile to serve one another. And Hebrews 12, 7 to 13, I really encourage you to read those verses during the week. They're wonderful verses. And we glorify God by growing in Christ. So that's our God-centered response to conflict. Everything I do, when I, when, I, when I do have a difference of opinion, what am I going to do? What are the attitudes I'm going to have to glorify God in that conflict? There's a couple of things you could do. You could decide just completely overlook the offence. Go back to me to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter nine, uh, 17. Some wise counsel from a wise sage says this. Proverbs 17, Just trying to find it, sorry, wrong verse, Proverbs 19, I was right the first time, Proverbs 19, verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offence. Wise counsel. That is one way we can be a peacemaker. We can just decide to look over the offence, right? Prime example. 
after the All Blacks' glorious win in the World Cup of several weeks ago, which I have not mentioned. <laughs> I have not mentioned once upon a time. But it's very interesting because in the last two weeks, everyone's talking to me about cricket. Now, I don't really care about cricket. So it's to, according to this verse, it's to my glory to look over the offence. So that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm choosing to do. It's a little bit tongue-in-cheek and a little bit silly because if the tables were turned and we're doing okay, I'd probably be talking about cricket. But the reality is, you know, the minor things. In conflict, you've really got to decide what are the hills you want to die on. And then you've got to really question that, well, what's in my heart and why do I want to die on that? Because at the end of the day, it's about the hard issue. But the reality is a really good technique here to live in peace with one another is to look over a fence. Not over the fence, over an offence. And when you look over an offence, what is the primary part of that is you never remember it again. You don't become historical. And it's an active thing. It's not peace-faking. For you to willingly say, I'm just going to look over that offence is an active thing and I believe it's prompted by the Spirit of God. It's a godly approach. It's a peacemaking approach to dealing with conflict. Okay, secondly, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to have to rush through these next three points. Uh, I think it's important to understand as peacemakers, if our desire is to honour Christ, to imitate Christ, to do all things to the glory of God, Jesus gives some pretty stinging instructions in Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Judge not, that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's a huge thing, isn't it? Incredibly weighty, this passage. Because how often and how so readily do we find other people's faults? How readily do we point out other people's faults? <laughs> That's not a peacemaking response. The peacemaking response says, I've got to deal with myself first. I've got to deal with myself first. 
I've got to get to the heart of the conflict in my own heart. I've got to discover if there's a desire or demand that I'm trying to impose on somebody in this process. And the only way of doing that, I believe, is to actually practice two things. Confession. Keep your slate clean. Be ready to confess. The second thing is be willing to apologize. Because when sins are concealed, Proverbs 28 talks about this, verse 13. When sins, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So for us to have a right response to conflict, we need to be consistently thinking through these areas of apology and confession especially admitting specifically your own sinful desires and the idols of your heart, your own sinful words, the harsh, reckless or worthless words that you may use, the grumbling and complaining, they are sinful words, the falsehood or any deception or manipulation, the gossip. They are all sinful words. Sinful actions are things like not keeping your word, not letting your yes be yes and your no be no, not respecting authority that God places over you, not treating others as you would like to be treated. Practice through the grid of admitting specifically your own hard issues, your desires, your words and your actions and that go a long way to being a peacemaker a long way to being a person of peace so glorify God get the log out of your own eye practice apologies and confession Gently restore, Matthew 18. We have not got time to go through Matthew 18, but it outlines clearly a process of reconciliation. And the steps of the reconciliation, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. One of the most divisive things in church culture and the church body is when this does not happen correctly. The Word of God is clear on this, that the whole process of Matthew 18, 15 through 20 is about reconciliation. The process is to reconcile, be reconciled. Why? 2 Corinthians 5 says we are ministers of reconciliation. If you're gospel-centered, that's what the Spirit is working in our hearts, so we can be ministers of reconciliation. If you take away only one thing today, I'd love you to take away this point here. When you have a difference of opinion or a conflict with somebody, especially within this body of believers, go directly to that person. That's your first port of call. 
according to Scripture. Between you and him alone. Don't grow, grab like-minded people that you may think are like-minded and, and, and uh, form a quorum of divisiveness. It's ungodly. Go to him alone. And if that doesn't work, then there is measures to go down here in Matthew 8. If that doesn't work, then you take a couple of witnesses with you. And if that doesn't work, then you take the elders. And Matthew 18 doesn't prescribe a time frame. Matthew 18 doesn't say this has to be done over three weeks. Remember the goal of Matthew 18 is reconciliation, peace amongst brothers and sisters. That may take six months, it may take six years. It may take six minutes. But it's not prescribed. Because what happens is the Spirit of God who dwells within you and within me or within whatever the conflicting parties may be is the same Spirit who's convicting, guiding, working through the issue. So what? You can glorify God in all you do. So gently restore. This outlines a process of gentle restoration and that's a godly response to conflict. And finally, the, the final one, which I won't spend much time on, is go and be reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5.17 As peacemaker is active, if you know there are some issues, you go and be reconciled to the, to the person that you're in conflict with. And in closing, I just want to read some verses from Colossians. I invite the music team to come up as I do this. These, uh, these verses have been very convicting to me this week as I've looked through the cross and conflict. And I want to encourage you with them. Just remember the response to conflict is the issue. We all are going to suffer conflict. But what is your response? Is it a response of a peacemaker? And if we got into our hearts and our minds through the power of the Spirit, these verses, it'd be a wonderful outcome. Paul says this, put on them as God's chosen, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so that you must also forgive. And above all else, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Colossians 3, 12 to 15. Take those away, memorize them this week. Key things in there. In our conflicts, we are to bear one another. We are to forgive one another. Why? Because Christ has forgiven us.